Wonderful words to remind us. We stand forgiven at the cross. I certainly hope that is your testimony this morning, that you can say your sins have been forgiven at the cross. Well, if you would, take the Word of God with me again and turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse number 16 this morning. 1 John chapter 2, beginning there in verse 16. We have been looking over the last couple of weeks about the admonition there in verse 15 of love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And we emphasized that last phrase last Sunday, the love of the Father is not in him. And so this is a continuation of John's thoughts here uh, with regard to the love of the world. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming." If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Our title this morning is Christ is the Fountain of All Righteousness. Christ is the Fountain of All Righteousness. I'm fairly certain we would be in agreement that the world in which we live is full of wickedness, it's full of desires that are against God. It's full of lust. It's full of pleasures. It's full of pride. And as we've been learning, the world system is that which is in opposition to God. We've learned over the last couple of weeks that the Father and the world cannot be loved simultaneously. Uh, you cannot have a love for the world and say that the love of the Father is in you, which we dealt with last week. But as he speaks of the world here, he's speaking of the world that does not agree with the will of God. We do know that the Bible tells us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world 
So there is a love that God has for the world, but we are not to love the world's system. Uh, We know that the world system uh, denies the very existence of God. Uh, It is what we might say, holy of the world. Um, All that's in the world, and John writes here, this describes the world, uh, not just today, uh, but the world as it has been. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, clearly is not of the world, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Uh, this is what some have referred to as the world trinity, right? You have the world, the flesh, the devil. You've got these enemies. You've got the opposition that man in his or her natural state is in opposition to God. And were it not for God's grace, were it not for his saving mercy, you and I would be living that way as well, in opposition to God. Uh, We were apprehended by God. We did not apprehend him. Uh, He came to us. Uh, We did not invite God to come and save us. Uh, He came to us. Uh, Sometimes I don't think we are fully aware of just how opposed Uh, the world is. Um, Think about what he's saying here. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Uh, This has been the downfall of no doubt thousands, maybe millions of people. Um, The lust of this life, the lust and the pride that comes along with it um, has derailed many. These phrases really are meant to summarize what our desires outside of God are. So outside of God, these are the desires of our heart. Uh, we, we, we want what the flesh wants. We want what the eyes see. Uh, the pride of life refers to the uh, looking at all that we've accomplished, all that we've done in this world. And so it is the grand design of the world system for you to look inwardly and to fulfill all of your desires. Whatever your eye sees, enjoy it. Whatever you want to uh, boast in, boast in it. But clearly John says these things are not of the Father. These are of the world. So what is the reason why we should not love the world? Because these things are not of the Father. That's the reason. Right Now, man has, has tried all sorts of ways to contort and to try to twist and try to find out, well, really, what's, what's so bad about this aspect of the world? What's so bad about this thing that I look at? What's so bad about the pride of life? The simple answer to this is, is we're not to love the world simply because the Father, he says, this is not of him. This is not who he is. Again, God is very clear in saying why we should not love something, but it is the desire of man to say, but there's things that I want to love. There's things that I want to be part of my life. But remember, we looked at last week, he he clearly says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in him or in you. So all that's in the world Lust of the flesh in verse 16, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. This is what the world is. This is where our great danger arises from. Uh, Oftentimes we're trying to find the, the fountain or the source of our biggest issues 
And we, we try to get to the bottom of why we do the things that we do, why we pursue. It's these three things. It's what the flesh desires, what the eyes see, and it's what the pride of life uh, influences us to do. Uh, the, these things are not worthy of a single thought of ours, right? You will never find real satisfaction in what your flesh lusts after, what your eyes lust after, or the pride of life. You will never be satisfied in those things. You'll never find true hope. And yet, there is a danger here. Remember, John was writing to people who had a profession of faith, right? You can't go out into the world right now and tell a lost, dying, sinning world who does not know Christ to not love the world because they do. They don't have any other frame of reference, right? We have a frame of reference. We have the word of God, and we understand that these are the things that should not be the marks of a Christian. So as Christ is the fountain of everything that's righteous or all that's righteous, the world is the fountain of all unrighteousness. There's this push and this desire to say the only way we're going to win the world for Christ is to make the church like the world. That is completely contrary to Scripture. You're not to make the holiness of God acceptable to the world. You don't change the, you don't change the message in order to reach the world. You don't ask the world, what do you want in a church, for example? You don't send a survey out in the community and say, if you were to choose a church, what would you want it to be? Yet people are doing that. Very clearly, there's a line marked here. There's the love of the Father, and then there's the love of the world. Now, he does go on and give us a little bit more reason why we shouldn't love the world. Verse 17, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth for ever. He very clearly does say that this, this life, this world, and the very lust of this world is going to fall away. Now, it's not just going to fall away in a general way. It's going to fall under the very judgment of God himself. It's going to fall under the judgment of Christ. Now, he's not saying here that he that doeth the will of God, meaning that he obeys perfectly, but he's talking about the difference between those who love the world who will fall and pass under the righteousness or the judgment of God, but those that doeth the will of God or those who are a part of the body of Christ, they will be part of the eternal kingdom forever. The world's going to go one direction. The people of God are going to go another direction. They are not going to be together. It is a separate system. It is a separate way in which it is happening. It is certainly much better to follow the Lord's will, to follow God's will, than to follow the lust of the world. But he says this is one of those reasons that it is you should not love the world because it is against God and it also is going to pass away. It's hard to make especially young people today understand that what they see is not always going to be. And it's hard to make them understand that you do not live for the things of this world. And it is shiny. It is attractive. It is trying everything it can 
to attract the younger ones especially to put their hope in the world. And yet the world is going to pass away. Now, he begins to give more characteristics about what the world is really going on in the world. Now, he uses this term, little children. We studied this for a number of different weeks, but he's, he's not speaking to children by age. He's speaking to, to them in a tender way, and he wants them to think about this. Now, he's writing this to them, and he says, it is the last time. Okay, we, we've, we've had this fascination with end time events for a long time and people have stood up and they give their predictions on how and what and where, how it's all going to go down. Listen, from the time Jesus went to the cross until now, we've been living in the last days. We're in the last times. Okay, we already know that to be. It is the last time. Okay, that ought to be enough to make us sit up and take notice. Okay, it's in the last time. And he's giving now characteristics of what the last time will be marked by. And as ye have heard, he's not telling them anything they don't know, that Antichrist shall come. Okay, then this is not an eschatology study today, but notice what he does say, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. How do we know this is the last time? Because of the many Antichrists that are in the world. The world is Antichrist. And there are many antichrists already in the world. People get caught up with this whole idea of who's the antichrist, when's the antichrist going to present, what's going to happen. John is not even jumping to that. He's saying it's already here. The spirit of antichrist is already alive and well. And that's what's telling you that it is the last time. And all these things that are being said, the world is going to pass away. So he deals with this antichrist and he's reminding them, this is how you can know you're living in the last time. Now, when he, when he says your last time, that suggests to us that this is not a time to delay. This is not a time to hesitate because there are antichrist, because there is this spirit of antichrist, he warns them about the danger of the age the dangers of what is happening. Now, again, he was warning them years and years ago. The warning is still just as relevant today as it was when John penned these words. Then some people say, well, the, the world is now just so much worse. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life has been one of the great dangers to mankind since the fall. It's always been there. It's always been a problem. Now, he begins to get very specific. Verse 19, he speaks about people going out from them, but they were not of us. Now, during this particular time, there was a group called the Gnostics. It was a very prominent heretical movement in the second century church, right? And they, their doctrine is that this world was created by a divinity of some sort, but that Christ was simply just a diplomat of that divine supreme being. Okay, so there was a, a true doctrine that was infiltrating and attempting. And you actually study some history. There was actually a break off of these Gnostic groups who formed and started their own followings and their own churches based upon that belief system. So when he says they went out from us, this is not just a general group of people went out. He's speaking about these Gnostics. 
They had this special knowledge or claimed to have this special knowledge. He says they were not of us. They weren't part. They, they were not truly of us. Because he said, had they been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Notice what John is saying. They went out, of, they went out from us that it might be made known to us that they were not of us. The very reason is, is it shows us they were not of the same belief. Now, again, they had caused a stumbling block. They were becoming an issue. This is much like what we talked about at 10 o'clock with the church at Colossae, with false teaching coming in. They were causing some to stumble. John is reminding them, do not allow this to be a stumbling block to you. This group of Gnostics who's come in and they are teaching something that seems new or something that seems different. What he says here is it's very plain that there will be those, and this is true today, there will be those who fall from God. There will be those who fall away. They had a place in the church. They were seated among us, but notice what he says, but they were not all of us. You see, there are those that are, were seated in those churches and there are those seated in our churches today who have a place in the church, but they're not really part of the body of Christ. They went out from us. Now, I've, I've watched that verse get contorted and twisted so many times my head spins. Right? I've, 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 I've heard people stand up and use it from church transfer, church membership transfer. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about something very, very clear that there was this antichrist sentiment, this belief that came in and they went out. And the reason they went out is order that it might be manifested that we'd be able to identify who they were that you'd be able to see them. They were never of the church. How do we know that? Because I know the Bible tells us that the church, the company, the, the body of Christ is the elect. We're told that they will not perish and they will not fall from Christ. This falling away that is taking place all around us, and if you're not aware of this, I would just advise you to just kind of pay attention. There is a great falling away that's happening under the name of the church. I said this a couple weeks ago. Christianity, in its man-made definition, has never been more popular. But it's not all proper Christianity. Just because you say it's a Christian doesn't mean it's a Christian. There are heretical groups who claim they are Christians just like you are, who have no dependence upon Christ. Christ is not their fountain of all righteousness. They have many odd doctrines. And that's what's happening here. They are those who were not of them, and they went out for the benefit of the church, that their hypocrisy would be clearly seen. You will be able to identify those who had their place in the church who went out from us. You'll be able to know that. You'll know who they were. Verse 20, he says, but ye have an unction. You have a, uh, an unction from the Holy One. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit. And ye know all things. This is meant to comfort them. 
It's meant to challenge them to stand firm and stand fast because it's the Holy Spirit of God that gives this unction, which is this anointing he speaks about later in the chapter, that tells you and teaches that you are in possession of true knowledge. Remember, the Holy Spirit's job is not to speak of himself. The Holy Spirit's job is to confirm Christ. And Christ is the way. Christ is the the only way of salvation. The Holy One, ye know all things. He says, verse 21, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth. He says, I'm writing to you because you do know the truth already. You know the truth. But because you know it, no lie is of the truth. In a sense, John is taking away any sort of Uh, of objection that may come up to this. He's not writing to people who don't know. He's writing to people who are very much aware, who know the truth. It's about discernment. Discernment. The Spirit giving us the ability to understand what is truth and what isn't truth. Discernment is something we take very, very, I think we take it lightly, we take it for granted. Think about every day when you have to discern every day what's true and what's false. It's getting harder and harder to do. Spiritual discernment is not of you. Spiritual discernment is of the Holy Spirit of God. Spiritual discernment in the person who's dead in their trespasses and sins today, to be able to identify that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life is not based upon your intelligence or your knowledge or your education level. It's based upon the Holy Spirit of God opening your eyes to see the truth of this. That's why you can sit here hundreds of times and hear the sermons preached and be moved and your eyes remain darkened and your ears remain stopped because until the Holy Spirit gives you the clarity to see it, You're not going to see it. But when you see it, pardon this expression, you can't unsee it. You can't unsee it. And yet it's that discerning truth that the Holy Spirit of God gives us that's also to be the guide in our life and the guide in this world. You see, we've not been left alone. We've been left with the Holy Spirit to guide us and to show us and to direct us that which is true and that which is false. The church, just like the world, has been bombarded with so much falsehood. She's having a hard time understanding what's true and what's false. And yet he says, you already know what the truth is. And he goes on to speak about, hey, don't be deceived because you know the truth. You have an unction. Now, he, he gets right where it is. Verse 22, who is a liar? He's going to give us the Webster's definition of a liar. And he's very clear. He that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. Every person who denies Jesus is the Christ is an antichrist. So you can spend your whole life trying to figure out the end times and trying to identify who the quote-unquote antichrist is, or you can look around you and say, anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ is an antichrist. Every last one of them. If you're a Christ denier today, you're antichrist. 
said, that's harsh. That's what John is saying. If you deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Gnostics, who he was speaking about, they denied the Christ. He's telling them very clearly, those who went out from us, those who went out into the world, those are anti-Christ. He is anti-Christ that denieth the Father and the Son. Mark it down. When you go and you hear a false teacher or you see the teachings of a false teacher, you will find out that ultimately the bottom of all of that is their rejection of Christ. Every false teacher at the bottom of it, in some form, some fashion, is denying Christ. Now they sound like they're not, and that's why a lot of things that sound Christian aren't. Some of you have dealt with that. Well, they talk about Jesus. They talk about Jesus Christ. They're not talking in the same terms you're talking about them. So he says, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm warning you about these things. He shows the false doctrine of Antichrist. They will either fight against the very person of Christ. They'll fight against the deity of Christ. They'll fight against his, one of his offices or they'll fight against all of it. They deny the Son. If you deny the Son, you also deny the Father. The true Messiah, that is the Christ. That's what that's a reference to. Again, he goes on. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. You cannot tell me today that you know God and deny Christ. And there's religions all over the world, churches today, meeting today that say, oh, we believe in God, but they deny Christ. You can't know the Father without Christ. You can't know Christ without the Father. To confess Christ is to confess the entirety of the Godhead. It is to confess not only Jesus Christ the Son, but God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Whoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. So you are deceiving yourself today. You are deceiving others if you say that all the religions of the world worship the same God. That is nowhere near being true. Muslims do not worship the same God. Hindus do not worship the same God. And I'll say it, Catholics don't either. It's not the same God. And yet, what is the greatest, most popular movement right now is we just have to pull everybody together for the sake of the world. We've got to be in agreement. No. You cannot be in agreement unless we agree on who Christ is. Because we're not just talking about an alternative movement, we're talking about that which is anti-Christ. So those who want us to lock arms, who call us bigoted and prejudiced because we will not lock arms with anti-Christ, folks, I'm just telling you, this is going to get tougher and tougher as the years go on. Those who are truly standing in Christ, are going to, they're going to have to take a stand. But remember, at the same time, you are preaching and teaching what every person needs to hear. 
preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every time the world has tried to silence the church, the church gets stronger because that's the promise of the gospel going forward. We preach the gospel because we know it will accomplish God's purposes. We don't rely on man. We rely on God. We rely on the Spirit of God. He acknowledges these truths. So what does he tell them to do? Verse 24, let that therefore abide in you. The word abide means means simply to remain or stay in you. Keep what you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you or abide in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. This is a clear declaration of the perseverance of the saints. If he is truly in you, you're not leaving. You're not going out. You're not going out like the Gnostics did. You will remain in the Son and in the Father There is no chance of you leaving and falling away if you are truly in Him. Now notice he's not saying you're going to live a perfect life, you're going to be sinless, but he is saying you will abide and remain. The whole preaching of the very thing in which the prophets spoke and what the preachers even in the New Testament say is that very clearly those that are in Christ will remain in Christ. They are kept, they are held, they are in Christ and in Christ alone. And this, verse 25, is the promise that He hath promised us. Every time God makes a promise, it's certain, it's sure. We don't have to wonder, is God going to keep His promises? Will God really do what He said He's going to do? God will do all that He said and promised to do because God cannot lie. And what He has said even promised us, even eternal life. Thank the Lord that our eternal life is not based upon our our holding on to Him. It's like Spurgeon said, but Christ hold on to us. Because without him holding on to us, we would certainly fall away. These things, verse 26, I have written unto you. Notice he gives, this is kind of like giving the thesis, why I said all the things I'm saying. Them that seduce you. Seducers are not always successful. Seduction is, of course, a danger. But seducers do not always win. The same Holy Spirit who he talks about who you have unction from in verse 20 is the same Holy Spirit that's going to give you the ability to not give in and be seduced by that which is false. The Spirit leads you into all truth. Again, he reminds them, you're not not ignorant of these things. The anointing, there's that word again, the anointing or that unction which you have received of him him, abideth in you. Again, what's abide in you mean? Stays or remains in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you. It is the Holy Spirit of God that is teaching you and reminding you continually that these things are true. The Spirit who you receive from Christ is the one who leads you into all truth. This morning, I can't say with certainty 
I can't say with certainty who is or is not ignorant of these truths. And you could say, well, you certainly would know that this person has to be, has to know these things because they've, they've been in the church a long time. No, he's saying very clearly that those who have this Spirit of God, they will know the truth. It isn't just simply having your place in a church. Remember, the Gnostics had a place, but they weren't of them. You're not ignorant of these things, he says. He says, I'm not telling you these things like you've never heard them before, but I'm calling these things to your mind again. We are called in the Scripture to be put into remembrance over and over and over again. Remembrance. Why? Because we tend to forget. We tend to forget what we know. We tend to fail to see it. He commends what's happening here. He says that you don't need that any man teach you. It doesn't mean that you don't need to know anything else, but he says he, the, the same anointing teaches you all things and is truth and is no lie. Even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. This will remain. He commends not only the doctrine which they had heard, but he also praises their faith, their diligence to remain truth, to reign in the truth of these things. And then verse 28, and now, little children, abide in him. Again, remain, stay, that when he shall appear. What a glorious truth it is. Jesus Christ will come again, and he will come in visible glory. It will not be some secret snatching away. He will come in visible glory. He will come and he will make and set all things right. That is our hope. That's our, that is the source of our joy as Christians today. True Christians is to know that Jesus Christ is coming again. And he's coming. Not in some mystical, weird way. He's coming in the same manner in which you saw him go, the book of Acts says. It's the very conclusion of what he's saying here. Abide in him, remain, stay, and when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed that his coming. And then here's that fountainhead at the very end, verse 29. If ye know that he is righteous, that is a reference to Christ. If you know that Christ is righteous, if you know that is the only way that you can stand before God, if ye know he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Remember, this whole book of 1 John has a lot to do with your assurance and with your confidence in who Christ is. Again, this is very similar to what we talked about at 10 o'clock, being complete in Christ. Don't be deceived. Don't be beguiled. Don't be seduced. Stand in what you already know because the Holy Spirit of God is going to teach you and remind you of your standing. Teaches us what is true, what is false. This is the sum of the entire argument. Christ is the fountain of all righteousness. So as we have to live in a world that is full of unrighteousness, again, right, you, you can focus on the dark, right? You can get carried away with how dark the world's getting. You can, you can start to get, start to lose hope. You can start to say, it's just not worth it. It's not, it's not worth taking a stand anymore. 
it is worth taking a stand because of the cause of Christ. And when you do feel, and you will feel at this time, you will feel it in this world that you are the only one standing. It's human nature to think we're the only one standing for that which is right. But there are millions of God's children in this world. We don't know how many elect there are. We don't know how many people from the beginning of the world, but we take great comfort in knowing that not a single one of them is he going to lose. And if you're counted as one of the elect today, you have something to rejoice in. And isn't it wonderful? You can't rejoice in yourself. You can't rejoice in your own. You can't boast about yourself. You can't praise yourself. You're brought to your knees and you say, I can only give my praise to Christ and what he's done for me. But again, those who may be here today, dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You've never repented. You've never trusted in Christ alone. You're relying on something else to get you to heaven. You're relying on something else to get you to God. It won't work. It won't work. Christ is the only way. Folks, the church has, the true church has the right message. It has the right promises. It has the right guarantees. The church is not failing. I mean, there, there are some that are saying, look, we, we can't do anything unless some, such and such happens. Look, the church is not failing. And so I don't see anything happening. You didn't see the work going on behind the scenes when your eyes were opened either. You didn't see it. You didn't see the Spirit of God working on you and opening your eyes at something you couldn't see before. And now you can see it. And you can understand it. We're too caught up in what we can see with our eyes instead of trusting what God's Word has said. But the Gospel as it goes forth, it is going to convert souls. It is going to bring people to Christ. You say, have you been watching the news? Have you been looking overseas? Have you seen what's happening? I see it. You know what every single person over there needs? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, no, well, we need, we need a political interview. We need, we need that. No, you need the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's always been the gospel. Always. The church doesn't have to change the message. Oh, we got to be more aware of people's needs. They need the gospel. The entire fountain is Jesus Christ. Preach the truth. Preach the gospel of Christ. Let's pray together.